We are in Matthew, the 21st chapter, going through the book of Matthew one verse at a time. We're going to knock off a whole bunch of verses today. So hang on to your seats there. We're going to run through 27 verses. Uh, a lot of, as we go through, is a little verse here, and you can really talk about it. This one doesn't lend itself to too many comments. But uh, this is the final week of uh, Jesus on earth. Uh, we, the event we're going to read today is what we celebrate, what we call Palm Sunday. And then we have... Easter week and then, you know, Good Friday. And so all this is what's happening here. This will take weeks for us to go through. The Bible records a lot in this final week. Uh, the, the book of John records a lot of what Jesus said in this final week, uh, which isn't in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Uh, we may get to uh, John after this. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are pretty similar. John takes a real different twist really showing a lot more of the humanity of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus, which most people prefer, but uh, we need to see it all. Anyway, so here we go. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Uh, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. And then Matthew points out, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And then he's about to quote the prophet. Now, you have to understand the major original attempt to a large degree of Matthew's writing and, and the Gospels was to make the argument that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. They had been talking about the Messiah for thousands of years. This one who would come and uh, clearly when Jesus came, uh, we believe him to be the Messiah. The answer to all these uh, uh, desires that people have been wanting for thousands of years to redeem mankind from their sins. There were lots of prophecies in the Old Testament about who this Messiah would be and the stuff that he would do. And as you read through the Gospels, they often stop to point out, okay, when he did this, this was prophesied over here. When he did this, this was prophesied over here. We've seen that a lot in Matthew. So we're seeing this again. And Matthew quotes from the Old Testament where it says this, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this was prophesied way before Jesus came. And then when this happened, Matthew's quick to point out, hey, this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. So the disciples did, went and did as Jesus had instructed them. Now, this is one of those cool little God moments uh, that I love, you know, things where God will come up and just do little things in your life that really aren't a big deal, but they're just neat. Neat little answers to prayer, neat blessings. Oftentimes people will say, well, those are just coincidences. Yeah, maybe to you, but not to me. I know that God is on my side and he gives me favor. And I love watching for those little God moments in life. You should really do that. Look for little things that come your way. Um, we, were, we read several of them. We pointed out as we've gone along in Matthew, like the one time the tax collectors came to Peter and said, hey, where's the tax? You and Jesus owe us X amount of dollars. Well, uh, Peter goes to Jesus and say, hey, they want the money. What are we going to do? And Jesus said, well, here's what I want you to do. Go fishing. The first fish you find, open up its mouth, and you'll find a gold coin in its mouth. And then pay the tax. Well... <laughs> 
Well, kind of a strange request, right? I mean, it's not significant. It doesn't mean anything. Souls aren't being saved as a result. There's no commandment being taught. Nothing about righteousness, holiness. It's just a cool little weird thing. Kind of odd. You know, go fishing. Uh, you know, the odds. How could he possibly know that the first fish he would catch, uh, assuming he'd even catch one, you know. Jesus would never send me to go catch a fish because I can't catch anything. Even people who take me fishing who can fish can't fish. This is like they all know it's me. Shh, they hide, you know. Uh, so anyway, so he goes and, and he catches the fish and he opens it and sure enough there's a gold coin. What are the odds of that? It's, virt- it's impossible. It's just a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. Now why would he do that? Just because it was cool. You know, I think God just likes messing with people's heads. You know, cool little things. And I think if you'll pay attention, you will notice and watch for God to do cool little things in your life. So that's what he did. Now, one of the things you have to understand, and I believe one of the other gospel points out, that this, this cult of this, of this little donkey of the donkey, no one had ever ridden before. Now, uh, I don't know a lot about horses and that sort of thing. I, I know about as much as that as I do about fishing. But... Uh, uh, as far as I understand, you just don't get up on an animal and ride it unless it's been broken, right? You got to break it. You gotta, so the idea that you could just get on something that's never been ridden before and it not kick and have a fit is just not going to happen. Well, uh, they, so Jesus said, go get this animal. No one's ever ridden on it and bring it to me. And if anybody says anything, tell them the Lord needs it. Now, if you're the disciples... You got to think, well, this is creepy. (laughs) How does he know there's a donkey somewhere? So they come into town, and sure enough, there's a donkey. And right next to the donkey is the little donkey. And so they were instructed to untie it and take it, which under most circumstances is considered theft. Okay? So he's basically, he told us to go steal the donkeys, right? Now, now that was a big honking deal back in that day. Even in our country up until, you know, what, the early 19th century, uh, if you were a horse thief, you were dealt with pretty severely. They would pretty much take a rope and string you up and hang you. It was the death penalty. You know, in this country, you can kill people. You can get a couple of years and out again, you know. But back then, the laws were really strict. Now, not that long ago, you take, you a horse thief, you get hung. So he's telling, go see this doggy. And dang it! So these guys are like, oh man, this is creepy. <laughs> you know? And so he said, take it. So I take it. And as I take it, you know, they say, hey, where you going with the donkey? I, I run. That's me. I, ah! I don't have any donkey. You know what I'm saying? I just, I just split. But uh, that's why I'm not in the Bible. So anyway, um, <laughs> they said, uh, the Lord needs it. And they went, oh, okay. What are the odds of this, right? So now it's not theft. So we know it wasn't theft because they said, okay, you can take it. But up until that point, pretty much in the theft category to me, you know what I'm saying? So they take it and they bring him. They say, okay, here is the donkey and the itty bitty donkey. And they uh, brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. So he sits on them and the thing doesn't do anything. It just sits very quietly. Another cool God moment. Um, 
because that, that never happens, right? Now, I don't know what happened later, because I got a twisted sense of humor, but I think it would be hilarious if someone would have seen Jesus riding this colt and thought, well, that's cool. Apparently, the colt is cool. As soon as Jesus gets off it, then they get on it, and it kicks them off. I think it would be hilarious, but I'm pretty sick. So anyway, uh, I mean, you would think, right? If he just got off it, well, I'll take it for a ride. That had to be hilarious. Because I'll bet you it kicked whoever it was right on, it, on their butts. So he's riding the donkey. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut down branches. That's where you get the idea of the palm, Palm Sunday, from the trees, spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that were behind all shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So they are talking and they are talking loud. They are shouting. Now Matthew doesn't talk about it here. He mentions a little bit of the same scenario in a few verses we'll see in just a minute. But uh, in Luke, it said that the religious people, the religious leaders followed Jesus everywhere. They were like the KGB of the, uh, you know, they were kind of the secret agent guys, you know, following her. And they hated Jesus. Oh, they hated him with a passion. They couldn't wait to get their paws on him and kill him. And they had been planning to kill him for some time. It wasn't until, see the thing is, he'd come in and he was right in the city. Well, why didn't they just arrest him there? Well, they were afraid of the people, which we're going to see in a minute as well. They were afraid of the people for all kinds of reasons. People would turn on him and beat the snot out of him so they wouldn't do anything. It wasn't until uh, Judas comes forward, because he would always leave town. They didn't know where he went. Uh, Judas comes up and says, I know where he is. That was the deal, see. That's what they, so they went and arrested him at night, found him, brought him back, had the trial at night, which was illegal, by the way, but they did it anyway, and then got to work right away to start beating him and crucifying him. Uh, all that happens at the end of the week, all foretold. All, Jesus was telling the disciples they knew this was all part of God's plan. But all these, these religious people knew they hated him. So they're following him. And all these people are just being loud and praising God. And Luke reports as they're coming into the city that they yell at Jesus and tell them to quit being so loud. And Jesus, the famous response, said, look, if they be quiet, then the stones will cry out. Which means you can be replaced with a rock. But uh, so uh, now all of that to say, say this. Um, well, let me keep going here. Verse 10. When Jesus entered the Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Why? Because there's so much racket. Who is this? And the crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So they all heard about him. Here he is now coming in, this big triumphal entry. And they're very, being very vocal. I talked about this last week, and I just want to emphasize it again this week. That when it comes to things like prayer and communicating and talking to God, there is very much a verbal element to it. Okay, you have to actually open your mouth and say something. Now, I don't know how this has happened, but I would say the vast majority of people today don't know how to pray. In fact, they don't pray at all. They think. They think pray. Their version of praying is just closing their eyes and thinking thoughts at God. Say, well, God knows my thoughts. Well, God also knows what you need. You know, and there's people who think like, they don't pray at all. Oh, God knows what I need. He already knows, Ronnie. Yeah, he does, but you need to pray. And you sit there squinting your eyes and thinking is not praying. Some of you wonder why you don't get many answers to prayer in your life. Well, the number one reason, you don't even pray. 
We're famous for this. People cry, scream, bellyache, wild, think, meditate. But they don't pray. You have to open your mouth and say it. Why? I told you I don't know why. It just is. It is part of the laws of spiritual dynamics. When you verbalize what you need before God, that's called prayer. And by the way, virtually every religion in the world does this. Even anti-religious people do this. Even Satanists do this. Even if you're a witch, you still got to say the spell, right? Right? Witches just sit there and go, let's bow our heads. <laughs> what the heck is that? Nothing will happen. Why? Because they know they got to verbalize, you know. I have newt and wing of bat. How dare you say that I'm too fat? You know, just, and, they, and they, they put a hex on somebody. They call them fat. All right, they've got their thing. You've got to say it. This is like, this is everywhere. Even in the most primitive tribes on earth, their version of prayer to whatever thing they know of God or demons or anything else, they verbalize it. This has been known since the beginning of time for man. But over the last 50 years, we've gotten this thing of just, you know, think praying. I just don't say anything, you know. I don't want to say anything, you know. I'm trying to, you need to say, though, well, you know, I, I come from a very quiet church. You know, I'm Lutheran or I'm Catholic. And, but even that's bizarre because Lutherans and Catholics also pray. They all pray. They all open their mouths and they say things. Now, the thing with them is very structured. They only pray what's been written down and approved ahead of time. And they just, la, 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 la. And everybody does their, la, 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 la. And even they say it. So even a Catholic can't give me, you know, well, I don't say it because I'm a Catholic. You're crazy. You need to open your mouth. You need to get this verbal expression. Well, I, I, I can't do that. I'm Swedish, you know. No. I'm, I'm German. We don't do that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, you're full of baloney. Because the very people, and I'm not talking to some of you over there in Appleton and Stevens Point in here. You're just crawling in the back of the chair. Ah, you don't want to hear this. You need to verbalize. You say, well, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe in doing that. You full of baloney. Yes, you do. Because we put you in any other setting. You become very verbal. Stick you in the green and gold cathedral on the other side of town. On a Sunday morning, you're screaming, you're yelling. Shoot, we don't even got to put you. So well, that's easy. It's in a big crowd of people. I'll put you in your house in front of the TV. You'll be screaming at the TV. Throw the ball. For the love of God, catch the ball. How hard can it be? You throw it, you catch it. What's the matter with you people? And you're screaming and you're verbalizing. And it's, well, that's, that's sports. I'll take you to a concert and you're la, 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 la. Put you anywhere and you're blah, 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 blah. Until we get you in church. And that's. <laughs> Stop it. Now, if you want to sit there and think prayer, look and knock yourselves out. If that works for you, I'm telling you, I bet you it doesn't work. You're a lot of the guys, they don't get jack squat from God. The whole reason of even coming to church is to help comfortably have a vocal expression. That's what singing is. These words have meaning. You're supposed to be singing. Of course, a lot of you people believe in miracles because you try to sing with your mouths closed. I watch you. I'm, you think I'm, not, I'm watching you. I'm sneaking around. You guys standing around here. You're supposed to sing. That's why there's big words on the walls. 
Open your mouth. Verbal. Oh, I'm not comfortable. You liar. You know you are because you'll do it at your TV when nobody's even watching you. <laughs> Open your mouth. Oh, I'm uncomfortable. Well, get out of uncomfortable. For heaven's sakes. And if you want God to answer your prayers, you actually need to pray. That means you get by yourself and you want to do it by yourself because it's kind of embarrassing. You don't want anybody listening to you. That's why it was us. Tell us about it. Get by yourself and say something out so your own ears can hear you talk. When your own ears can hear you talk, now you're praying. Say, well, I don't do that. That's why you don't get any answers to prayer. I don't know who came up with this. I mean, I know when we pray together, you know, let's bow our heads and pray. But someone's self-verbalizing. In this case, the campus pastor or whatever is standing up and he's saying the prayer and we're all listening and we're agreeing. And when you get done, everybody says... Amen. You verbalize it. We don't have you all. Everybody think amen. <laughs> what, what is this? I, you know, people, you know, in a version of prayer, let's just bow our heads for a word of silence. I hate that. First of all, if it's too long, I start falling asleep. <laughs> the other thing, I get distracted. I look down, I say, man, my shoes are dirty, man. What is that? You know, I just... I wonder how they got that tile in here. What was that all about? You know, just... Until finally someone says, okay, okay, and we're done. That's prayer. Believe it or not, for a lot of Americans today, that's exactly prayer. You get a bunch of people together to pray, their version of prayer is, everybody, bow your head and think really loud at God. <laughs> and I don't know who came up with that, because even the most staunch Catholics, Lutherans, Episcopalians, they don't do that. They all pray. Am I wrong? They verbalize it. Even the witches. Everybody talks. Because something happens in the spiritual realm when you open your mouth and say stuff. Even Satanists know this. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay, having beaten that horse to death, moving on. When you come to church, get comfortable. Sing. Open your mouth, say the prayers, repeat, and learn to do this by yourself at home. All right, then Jesus enters the temple court, and he just starts to trash the joint. He does. He drove out all the buyers who were selling there, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called the house of prayer, but you're making it into a den of robbers. They're ripping people off, doing whatever. They weren't supposed to be doing this, by the way. And it's interesting, of all the Gospels that report this, what I find fascinating is there is no record of any response to this. I mean, seriously, you come into our church and you start trashing stuff out there, I'm calling the cops. You know, somebody's going to tackle you. <laughs> Drake, what are you doing? Dead of robbers? You know, he's, he's not throwing stuff out there. We're calling the cops. Here comes Jesus. He comes in the temple and just starts trashing the place, knocking stuff over, all this other money's flying everywhere, all their products going crazy. What's amazing is nobody complains. Nobody. Do you know why? Because they know they were guilty. They knew what they were doing was wrong. Jesus just called them on it. See, that's the difference. If you get caught redhead, people who are caught redhead, you notice the people that their transgressions, transgressions are caught on videotape, they don't say anything. They get real quiet, yeah. Okay, if you don't catch them on videotape, then they lie. Oh, I didn't do it. You can't prove it. 
if the glove does not a fit fit, you must acquit. You know, I mean, all the, unless you got videotape, man. Uh, I'm not trying to pick on OJ, but uh, you can't. If they don't have video, everybody denies doing anything, right? Until you get the videotape. Well, this is like the version of videotape. They all knew whatever they were doing was guilty. By the way, just for the record here, uh, John is the only one who records this event as happening very early. At least it appears early. It's right after Jesus' first miracle, then John talks about this. Now, people wonder, well, why is that? Well, some Bible scholars say, well, it's because he did it more than once. I think that's highly unlikely, quite frankly. Um, or if it was, next time Jesus comes into town, everybody hides. <laughs> Here he comes again, you know. Uh, I don't think they knew he was going to do it. Why is it recorded earlier there? I don't know. It's one of the little human elements in the Bible. It's the kind of thing that sometimes people come and say, well, the Bible's got contradictions. Well, you know. Because one guy reported here, another one does it there. It doesn't mean anything. To them, somehow, it validates that the Bible's not true. It's just nonsense. They don't want to believe the Bible's true, so they'll find anything they can. And, uh, and I don't think we have to be afraid of these little human things that pop up here and there. We're, gonna, we're about to read another one in just a second. There are little, tiny, insignificant. To come up with the conclusion it's not true because of these little, what they call, contradictions is absurd. That would be like on the day of 9-11... Someone says the plane came in from this direction. Another one says, no, it came from that direction. One said it was at this time. No, it was 20 minutes later. And well, however, and then to conclude, well, because there's contradictions, you know, there were no planes. Well, how dumb do you got to be? Lots of people see things differently. One of the hardest things in any trial is eyewitness testimonies and people, you know. So these are little, to come to the conclusion that this is not true is just absurd. And by the way, what's really fun is whenever someone says the Bible's full of contradictions, ask them to name one. What's funny is they're there. I know where they are. <laughs> Most of them, they don't know. It's just a way to get them to shut up. You know, Bible's full of contradictions. Really? You know one? Uh, no, but I know they're there. You know, they don't know. They're just saying it because someone else said it, you know. Uh, so don't let that stuff throw you. Does, these were written by human beings who amazingly, over thousands of years of human history, stayed right on track and reflected what, what God was doing. Just because of little things like that, timeline things. And again, remember, they didn't think like we did in terms of chronological things happening, uh, you know, scientifically like we do. For example, the Bible says Jesus was in the grave how many days? Okay, well, do the math. He dies on Friday night. That means he should have been in there till Saturday night, Sunday night, and Monday night is when we should celebrate Easter. Well, no. It was Sunday morning because they don't think like we think. When he died on Friday, he was put in the grave on Friday. That's day one. And he was in the grave Saturday, day two. And on the third day, Sunday, he raised again. That's why it's referred to the third day. Again, we look at things differently, which we'll see in just a minute. And people come up with all these little things the Bible's not true it's just absurd anyway but people are going to do what they want to do they, don't, they want to believe is what they're really wanting to do they don't want to believe okay so now uh, so he trashes the joint then he starts praying for people the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them and, but when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts again they were opening their mouths and verbalizing Hosanna son of David they became indignant and they said, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said, yes. Have you never read? And he quotes from the Old Testament. From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. 
And he left them and went back. He went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. See, that's what he'd do. He'd come into the city and then he'd go out again. And they wanted to grab him during the day, but they couldn't because all the people, they didn't know where he went at night until Judas gave him up. All right, now we have this next verse. Now, early in the morning, as Jesus went on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. And when the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? They asked. Again, we would struggle because we're so literal in scientific terms over this word immediately. Because Mark reports the way this went down is Jesus went by, saw that, and I think this is hilarious. This is just a human moment. Jesus had these human moments. Remember when you look at his disciples and get so frustrated? How long am I going to be stuck with you people? Well, he knew how long he was going to be stuck with them. He was just frustrated with them, okay? And at times, Jesus used hyperbole, exaggerated statements. Now, some people get uncomfortable when I say that, but it's true. You know, for example, when he said, don't be looking at women, checking them out and undressing them in your head. All right, he says, if your eye offend you, pluck it out. Now, I don't know anybody who actually believes you should pluck your eyeballs out. If that were true, all the guys here would be walking around with canes this morning. Because we would have lost our eyeballs some time ago. Okay? He was just making a very strong statement. He said, better to go to heaven with, two, with one eye than to hell with two. Very strong statement. Don't be doing that. Okay? Uh, and it is all kinds of examples like that. Uh, and if you can't understand that human element of some of his expressions, you'll struggle with some of the things Jesus said. So anyway, he comes to this tree. He's hungry. He wants to go, there's nothing on the tree. Stew it, tree! And he... <laughs> just rot up and die or whatever he said. I don't know what he said. It says he cursed it. I don't think he said a cursing. He cursed the tree. Whatever he said. So, uh, Mark says, then they go and they come back. When they came back, it was all withered up. Okay, Matthew said it withered up immediately. If you're reading this, you would think that right before them, it went, Aah! all right. Well, still, even over, by the time you said it come back, that's pretty immediate, okay? Again, these are the kind of things people who don't want to believe will point to the Bible and say, that's a contradiction. Well, to assume, because one guy worded it one way and the other guy put it on a slightly different wording, that it never happened is crazy. But just people, they don't want to believe. So, you know, there's people, some of you guys my age will remember this. You know, when the first guys landed on the moon, there were a lot of people who couldn't get, they couldn't even conceive of that in their head. And they were convinced the whole thing was staged. They did. There's a whole movement of people who really believe we never went to the moon because that's impossible. And it was all done on Hollywood. There's some people who still believe that. Okay? But you know what? People are going to believe whatever they want to believe, and they'll come up with. Anyway. Anyway, we don't hide from these things. We just talk about them openly. So that was the difference there. What shocked them was Jesus got ticked off at the tree, and the tree <laughs> chokes up. And they said, how? How could that happen? And here's the point of the story. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do, no, and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, then it will be done. Is that another exaggerated statement to make a point? I would think so. It doesn't really matter. I do know that I'm not aware of anyone in the history of mankind who's ever taken a mountain and thrown it into the ocean. The point isn't that. The point is nothing will be impossible to you if you'll trust God. Okay, because he says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Again, whatever you ask for in prayer, not whatever you ask for in thought. 
All right. Jesus entered the temple courts. And while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. And they hated Jesus. They hated him. Hated him. Hated him. Hated him. And they had been working for a long time trying to figure out how to kill him. Again, when Judas came up and said, I know where he's staying at night, that was a big deal to them. But up to this point, they didn't know how to get him. Because they never knew where he went to at night. And they, you know, it wasn't like, you know, today where you, there was no lights and stuff. Just a few torches here and there. And people took off into the hills. Who knows where they went? They didn't have GPS tracking bugs. <laughs> uh, so they hated him. They wanted to kill him. And they wanted to, actually, anyone who was a great testimony for Jesus, they tried to kill. John reports that just before this event, just on his way up to this great triumphant entry into Jerusalem, this is when he stopped by to see his friend Lazarus. Now, John has much more of the warm and fuzzy parts of the, of the gospel, which most people prefer, actually. They don't like this real strong version of Jesus, but there's, both are true and legit. And uh, so anyway, he reports this very human encounter where Jesus' friend Lazarus dies. He's in the grave. Jesus shows up. He's overwhelmed with grief. The Bible says he cries. It's the only place where it says Jesus cried. Uh, we don't know if he cried before that. We don't know. But it says there he wept. So he's actually he's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. If anybody ever wants to say, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? It's Jesus wept. That's all it is for that one verse. Okay. And he cries. And then... He, you know, does this incredible miracle by raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, this one really freaked out these religious leaders because they hated him or trying to kill him. And, you know, he'd do all these miracles, but he, they try and find explanations for it. They kept kind of, you know, and it's easy to do. I mean, Jesus had raised people from the dead before, but they thought, you know, they didn't know if they were really dead. I mean, you know, to them it was like Princess Bride mostly dead, you know. And we all know there's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. So uh, uh, they would just think, you know, maybe he was, it's like Lathan. You know, by the way, it was Lathan's birthday yesterday. 60 years old. That's right. Happy birthday, Lathan. These are your friends. They're saying happy birthday to you. All right. Okay, anyway. So he's... But, <laughs> Yeah, I'm right behind him, all right? So, but anyway, so, and I've used this analogy before. If the Lathan falls over dead right now, which we hope will not happen. If he fall, just plops over dead, and one of you people in medical, you know, doc, you reach over and you check, and he's dead, he's dead. I mean, you know dead, dead is dead, right? You check his pulse, not breathe, he's dead. Oh, he's dead. And then I come pray for him, and all of a sudden he, <coughs> and he sits up. You know, the vast majority of you think, well, he wasn't really dead. Must have just been gas. You know, or uh, he was just mostly dead, you know. Big difference between all dead and mostly dead, you know. And so, and, and you know, and we believe in Jesus. You guys know, admit it. You don't look at me that way. You know. If he popped up, we'd, nobody would think he was really dead, even though he was totally dead. Well, it's easy to blow that off with Jesus. Well, the thing with the miracle with Lazarus, he's all dead. He, they, Jesus shows up. He's been in the grave in, in the tomb for three days. He is totally, completely, unashamedly, without question, deader than a doornail. In fact, he was like reeking, stinking dead. And when, they, when Jesus said, remove the tomb, they all said, oh, dude, man, don't do that. Because he just reeks. Oh, you know. And he said, remove it. So they come. And then here is this guy, totally and completely dead. Three days. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. 
and Lazarus comes hopping out of the tomb. <laughs> I would have freaked, man. I would have turned around ah! and run as fast as I could. If I'm ever doing one of your funerals and y'all sit up in the casket, I'm out of here, man. I'm telling you, that's, I just, it's cool, but it would freak me out. I mean, this, holy cow. This guy was really dead. And when the religious leaders saw that, they saw it, by the way. They said, we're going to have to get Lazarus and kill him. That's how sick these people were. Because if other people hear about this, they're going to believe in Jesus. They were so hardened in their opposition to Jesus. They would think in terms of literal death. It's one thing when people don't like you. It's another thing when they want to kill you. And that's where they were at. So they come to Jesus. They're irritated as they can be. They're trying to kill him. Where there's a few days of pulling it off. And these guys say... By what authority do you do these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus said, well, I'll also ask you one question. If you answer me, then I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, talking about John the Baptist. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or human origin? Was it God or did somebody just make it up? Well, they got together in a huddle and they discussed it among themselves. They said, well, if we say from heaven, he'll say, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin... We're afraid of the people. Remember, that's why they didn't grab him. Just insulting John, who was already dead at this point. The people would have turned on him and beaten the snot out of him. So trying to grab Jesus publicly was an impossibility to them. Because they all hold that John was a prophet. So they come back to Jesus and their answer was, uh, verse 27, we don't know. And then Jesus said, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. And for the next few days, there's a bit of cat and mouse that goes on between him and these Pharisees, uh, as they discuss some of these things. We'll be looking at that, uh, picking up again next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the truth of your word. Help us to grow from it. Lord, uh, two things I just want to point out this morning as we've been stressing this. Number one, Lord, help us to understand uh, the importance of verbalizing our faith in you. That means from singing to praying. No, a lot of guys, particularly men, are very uncomfortable with this. You know, if it's a football team or something else, they're totally fine with it. For some reason, there's this weird thinking today that we just think in front of God. Help us to learn to verbalize. Help us get comfortable singing. Help us get comfortable praying when, when people get by themselves. Help them to get a sense of what it means to offer up their request to God in a literal, physical, audible way. It's called prayer. I pray this will strike into our hearts so we will get this. And second, Lord, you, you mentioned, and we just went over it very briefly, but the, just the fact that nothing is impossible when you pray with faith. Help us to trust you totally and completely because if we'll pray and pray in faith, nothing is impossible. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. Have a great holiday. Amen. <laughs>